the heart of formation. There's an urgent invitation from God to the church to be spiritually formed. We cannot live in a time of uncertainty and extreme stress without spiritual disciplines to strengthen and fortify us. That's true for individuals and families and churches. The guide you hold will introduce you to the work of spiritual formation. And when we say spiritual formation, we mean the process of becoming more like Jesus, of learning to live our lives by doing the things Jesus did and the things he taught. Morphe. In Greek, the word morphe describes our formation, our transformation, really. And it was the goal of Paul's ministry, as we see in Galatians 4.19, when he wrote, My little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Even more incredible, formation is God's desire and goal for our lives. We see this stated in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The spiritual formation process is supported by spiritual disciplines and practices and requires intentionality and active participation as we respond to God's invitation. The Holy Spirit then gets in on the work as he initiates our formation, as he leads us into all truth and empowers us for change. While our formation to Christ-likeness has always been God's intention for followers of Jesus, the reality we see far more often is summed up in philosopher Dallas Willard's observation that we have now come to the place where we can be a Christian forever without becoming a disciple. In claiming to be a Christian without becoming a disciple, we wear the name without bearing the responsibility that comes along with it. And the absence of accountability is one of the reasons we see a lack of unity, maturity, joy, peace, or hope in the body. In the early spring of 57 AD, the Apostle Paul unrolled a parchment and began writing a letter to Christians in Rome. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In penning these words, Paul provides a view into the heart and motivation of spiritual formation, providing three reasons we ought to be relentless about pursuing it. First, it is to reflect the glory of God. Paul points to God's glory as the primary motivation for spiritual formation. In the above passage, he begins with an exhortation or an encouragement to the church in Rome, where he urges them, in light of, or because of the mercies of God, because of his goodness to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. For the people in first century Rome, this would have painted a particular picture since society thrived on a sacrificial system. The Jews coming from the law into faith knew Levitical law, and they understood the process of atoning for sins. For Gentiles coming into the faith, Rome's innumerable pagan gods, Venus and Apollo, Jupiter, Castor, and a host of others were housed in the Pantheon. They both knew 
that worship practices required sacrifice. Yet in this passage, Paul is not asking the Romans to sacrifice something outside of themselves. He's telling them, your life is the sacrifice. All of who you are. Eugene Peterson renders this passage beautifully in the message when he writes, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Offering all of who we are to God is the truest way we can worship Him, because we know how good God is and the 10,000 ways He's come through for us. We are to worship Him, not just with our emotions, our intellect, or even our voices, but with our bodies, which in this context means all of who we are. Our worship reveals the glory of God to a world in desperate need of Him. The second reason Paul gives for us to pursue the work of spiritual formation is to prevent worldly passive transformation. In verse 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Because we're always being conformed and acted upon by the world, Paul does not mince words. We are either being conformed to the world or we are being transformed to Christ-likeness. Paul begins this line of scripture by telling his listeners what not to do. Don't be conformed or identified with. The Greek word we see here is suske matizo, which means having the outward shape of something that comes from following the same pattern. Paul writes, don't follow the same pattern of the world. And therein lies the rub, because we live in the world 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And though we're created to reflect the glory and goodness of God, our tech-fueled access to information and media provide continual opportunities to be deformed by sin and the effects of brokenness in our world. If you were to flip back a few pages in your Bible to Romans 1, 18-32, Paul paints a clear picture of what conformity to the world looks like. He says people will suppress the truth by their wickedness, that even though God's power is clearly seen in creation, people will neither glorify him as God, nor will they give thanks to him. People will be filled with all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They'll become gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They will have no mercy no understanding, no fidelity or loyalty, and no love. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they'll not only continue to do these things, but also they'll approve of those who practice them. It's not difficult to understand why we need to be transformed. Paul continues writing, and he arrives at the antidote to conformity, but be transformed. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, which has two profound definitions. The first means change after being with, and changing form in keeping with an inner reality. Since the world is continually working to conform us to its patterns, we must participate with Christ in the work of being actively transformed. How? Well, when Paul speaks of being conformed and being transformed— What's interesting is that both these statements are passive. The only active statement he speaks of 
is the work of renewing our minds. The word renewal is easy for us to understand. For example, we renew our driver's licenses or we renew our marriage vows. We're not strangers to the work of renewal. But the Greek expands our understanding to reveal that renewal or anachinosis is a change of heart and life which can only be achieved by God's power. Renewing our minds means changing our minds, and that can only be achieved by the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. The more we are in the presence of God, the more we will be transformed. Spiritual formation practices like stillness and silence, solitude, Sabbath, studying the Word, generosity, and simplicity, they shape us. And they are a part of how our minds are renewed and our lives are transformed. And when the Holy Spirit changes the way you think, it will change how you feel, which will change how you act, which will change how you live. Do you see it? Do you see hope beginning to rise? Though the world is a formation machine, or better yet, a deformation machine, our Christ is a transforming God whose work is in the realm of making us new people and equipping us to be a part of a new family on a new mission to make him known. The third reason Paul gives is that we will know God's will and our calling. Paul finishes his sentence in verse 2 by saying that the result of the work of being transformed by renewing our minds has an outcome, so that you may prove what the will of God is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. One of St. Augustine's most important prayers was this, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know Thee. In these words, we see how crucial it is to discover our identity and calling. Knowing who God intended you to be is of vital importance. Becoming that person is essential for every follower of Jesus. Lean in for a moment here. We will never figure out our place in the world and our role in the kingdom without being spiritually formed. Don't you want to know who you were created to be, who God had in mind as he formed you? Aren't you eager to learn about your place in the world and your role in the kingdom that is both coming and here right now? Are you hungry to know and live out of your true self rather than investing time, effort, and energy into a false self? Don't you want to live as your creator intended rather than whom your friends and family expect? Are you tired of succeeding at what you suspect does not matter as you gain the whole world yet lose your soul? Would you like to lift off the yoke of cultural expectations around value and success and choose instead to be yoked with Jesus who frees you to live unhindered. You can. This is the life you've been invited to. This is the journey we are on as a church. We've created this guide to help us all walk this path together, the path of becoming more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.